and really bring it back to kind of public health and science principles that we can make digestible for a larger kind of American public. I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the November 13th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There you will also find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. Today's learning objectives are discuss strategies to address vaccine hesitancy and discuss the importance of community public health messaging in improving knowledge and participation in public health strategies. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated and in kind by DKB Med. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Allwater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He will be interviewing Dr. Risha Renee Irvin, Assistant Professor specializing in infectious disease at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. They will be discussing how to address vaccine hesitancy for COVID-19 vaccines and how politics play into public perceptions of vaccine safety and efficacy. Dr. Allwater, Dr. Irvin, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you, Faith, and thank you, Dr. Risha Irving, uh, who is a colleague of mine here in the division of Johns Hopkins and has uh, done such wonderful work uh, within the community here in Baltimore uh, with hepatitis C and has also been a vital person helping with some of the vaccine trials for the uh, pandemic coronavirus here. In this segment, we, we wanted to try to focus a little bit on your experience First, maybe whether you had any lessons or findings that you think were important as you tried to engage people in vaccine trials that maybe our listeners could help if and when a vaccine becomes more widely available, uh, you know, people are going to be calling and asking advice. And, and I was wondering what were some of the more frequent things that you've heard uh, as you've worked with uh, people for your vaccine trials? I think, you know, as we've started um, this work and to try to talk to communities about vaccines and kind of COVID-19, one of the biggest things we hear is, or concerns, well, if I get the vaccine, is that going to give me COVID? And that's one of the biggest concerns I think that I've heard um, from people and many people saying, well, I know that happens with flu. People get the flu vaccine and they get the flu. And so what we've tried to explain to people is you know kind of how vaccines work and that you're not getting an active live virus and so you're not going to get flu or COVID-19 from the vaccines but what we're trying to do is get your body to mount a response to fight off those viruses if it ever comes in contact with it. But again I think 
these are public health messages and really taking time to talk to communities um, about this. And so I think as we move from having efficacious vaccines, and I do think we'll have you know, several options, and as we move to a strategy to deploy those in the community, I think the prep work has to start now to talk to communities, answer all their questions um, about vaccines, and really bring it back to kind of public health and science principles that we can make digestible for a larger kind of American public. And I think we always haven't done a great job um, in getting those kind of messages out there. Yeah. Heidi Larson's made a career in the UK of studying social networks and information about vaccines. And she has always made the comment that 90-95% of social media traffic about vaccines is negative yes. uh, versus positive. And of course, uh, there have been a number of uh, well-conducted polls that have suggested that Blacks, uh, Latinx people have more vaccine hesitancy than the larger population. As I was thinking about this and uh, the fact that for controlling a virus in the country, unless if we have a mandate, we need people to feel that they should get immunized and, and so on. Because I don't think we're going to be able to have a mandate or a vaccine that's not been fully vetted. I, I put all this out because to me, what's been very effective when, uh, just as an example, we had a program in Trinidad and Tobago about using aspirin to reduce stroke in people at risk. And it was very low. But once we had one or two community leaders make a video that said, I'm taking aspirin, and this is why, the rates went up quite a bit. Is there some sense that you could get either uh, for vaccine trials or even for the immunization itself, certain community leaders that could say, I got it, and here's why. And I know your concern, because I have a feeling, I mean, you're, I would trust everything you say, but I know when I have patients on the other side, they don't trust what I say, or, they, or they're, they're skeptical, which is fine. But, but I think when they see friends or others in the community stand up, is that a better strategy than trying to go with medical professionals? I think it's important to have both. Um, I'll say you brought up the point of particularly the data that's showing that African-American and Latinx communities don't necessarily trust in terms of the COVID-19 vaccines that might come out or lower rates say that they'll get them. And I think a lot of that has to do with this idea of it still experimentation. Um, so again, us explaining kind of the process, but I do agree with your point in terms of having people from the community stand up and say, I got this, or, you know, I believe in this, you know, gives people a comfort level that I can't give them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still seen as an outsider or, or tied to kind of academics or, you know, to the science that's being done. But having somebody from your community say, um, you know, I got this, I believe this, it worked, I think goes a long way. And I think you know, the points you were bringing up about all of the vaccine information that we see on social media, it's all negative. And that's what people see. It's easy for people to start to internalize that or to have questions or doubts about it 
regardless of their education status, starting to feel like, well, maybe we shouldn't get vaccines and not understanding sometimes all of the background around kind of why vaccines were needed and what kind of led to us kind of um, moving towards vaccines to protect the community from so many diseases. And that is true of COVID-19, you know, as well. One of the things that we are working with our group of community leaders um, first is kind of talking through all of their issues and thoughts around COVID-19, but also asking, are there leaders who, you know, would be interested in being involved in trials or being some of the faces of COVID-19 in our local Baltimore community. And I know also on a national level, the same thing um, has been done. And there have been some leaders who have stepped up um, and done that. There have been several presidents of historically Black colleges that have stepped up and talked to their communities about engaging in COVID-19 um, vaccine trials and other leaders that have been a part of that. And I think a good parallel is to what we've seen in terms of HIV um, before, where we've had leaders who have stepped up in their communities and identified to people that it's okay to get tested for HIV, to get treated for HIV. Um, and I think we can draw parallels um, there. I worked on a couple campaigns with Greater Than AIDS from the Kaiser Family Foundation where we had that. We had Black pastors who got tested in front of their congregations um, for HIV. And I think that can have a larger impact than, you know, me going to talk to them can have. I think we need both because we do need kind of folks who can talk about the science and public health principles. But I think at the end of the day, people do probably put more stock into somebody that they know or that they look up to um, telling them about something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really hope that some of the uh, government and public health messages can incorporate both because I think we tend, you know, we as physicians and scientists love the science, love talking about that, but I uh, tell you it often isn't very convincing uh, for people that are on the fence. So yeah. I think that's very important. One, one other aspect I'd like to explore with you, Risha, is there are a number of people that will say, I'd rather get it naturally. You know, I'd rather get the immunity that uh, comes with the infection. We've seen this with chickenpox parties and people that don't want to get vaccines. And of course, I think this is a very individualist perspective. You know, um, what's in it for me or what's best for me, which is important, no doubt. And I think a prime motivator. But with this particular crisis, do you feel that any kind of altruism in the sense of saying, if you get this vaccine, you might not spread it to others, just like wearing masks, I guess. I don't know how successful it's been for masks because I think people still feel, well, is it gonna help me versus someone else? And I think certainly we talk about herd immunity, but herd immunity protects everyone. I'm wondering with these difficult concepts for someone that's my, on the fence, do you have any uh, kind of points or things that might resonate that we could use? Because I think these questions will come up fast and furious, uh, even with people that are at the highest risk for complications that may be quite hesitant to take the step with something completely new, especially a vaccine that's never been really used in the human population before, mm -hmm. such as an mRNA vaccine. Yeah, so I, I think we have to have some very frank conversations um, with people and kind of, you know, across the nation. This concept of, well, you know, I'd rather just get it naturally and see what happens. 
Um, I think we have to be honest with people as medical professionals. We can't predict who is going to have kind of negative outcomes from this virus. We know groups that are who at higher risk, but on an individual level, I can't tell anyone whether or not they're going to have, you know, complications um, from COVID-19. And it's just not what COVID-19 can do to your lungs, but it's also, you know, the associated factors of getting a pulmonary embolus. My cousin in South Carolina was hospitalized because she had COVID and got PEs um, associated with COVID. She's okay now, but the point is she was young and healthy and no one could have predicted what her course was gonna be from COVID-19. So you still have to be concerned about self. But I think the other point is to try to appeal to people. So even if you get COVID and you're okay, how many people will you spread it to? Um, because we know that people are contagious before they show any symptoms. And then there are some people who were, won't show symptoms at all and won't even know that they have it. And so is it your grandmother that might be infected or your grandfather or your parents or your kids? Um, and so I think we do have to appeal to that sense of, again, all in this together and trying to protect others. I don't think it's been that successful, mainly because we haven't had a national strategy promoting that. As we shift to vaccines, I do think we have to appeal to that same kind of notion. And yes, I do understand there will be fears and concerns, um, but as we think about trying to move towards, you know, opening our society and getting back to some level of normal, um, the way to do that is through vaccines and our mitigation techniques and to make sure we're protecting people, you know, as much as possible. And so I think there, should be, you know, an individual level concern, but also this larger community concern. And then for some, I realize that their paramount concern may be the economic impact, but realistically, we're not going to be able to fully reopen and get back to a robust economy until we contain the virus. So even if you're weighing those two things, we've got to contain the virus or we're not going to be able to function um, normally. Yeah. Is there a, a sense that you think influencers would help? Uh, you know, I, I use that term very loosely because I don't really follow any influencers, but there have been so many high-profile celebrities that have generally been against immunizations rather than trying to propose them. And we've talked about community efforts. Do you have a sense that this should be another focus that we, you know, we should have well-known people as well as people in the community? I, I think so. I think it helps. And on the national level, the COVID-19 Prevention Network um, has reached out to several people I know on that topic. Um, and there have been some interviews that some folks might have seen. Steph Curry, you know, interviewed Dr. Fauci um, to talk about COVID-19. Yep. And so I think things like that also help because, again, these people who, you know, are social media influencers or who, you know, are on top in sports or acting and have other careers, they reach people that we just can't, that we just don't have a way to reach. Um, and so I think it's really important to have those people involved and have them step up. Because again, like you said, the voices that we do hear are the people that step up to be very much anti-vax and kind of put that out and it's on websites. But on the other side, there are lots of people who believe in vaccines, who get their kids vaccinated normally. Most people do. But again, it's not out there at the forefront. And so how do you get that message um, out to the community in a good way? And so I think having those social media influencers is a large part of that. 
Well, I, I definitely wanted to uh, thank you, Dr. Risha Irving. Uh, you're among the many heroes of the COVID-19 pandemic for all your uh, fabulous work and outreach. I think we need more heroes, as we've pointed out here. And these will be very interesting, I think, pivotal times for us, our communities, and our country in the next few months as we really face tremendous numbers of uh, people with infections that will, again, I think, stress our health system. Hopefully, this will be the last time and season that this occurs. So I'm optimistic, but it's really uh, the important work, uh, for example, that you're leading that will really help reach the most people, which is, I think, uh, the most important aspect if we can uh, prevent uh, these infections. Thank you so much, and thank you for all um, that you've done. And I just really hope that people remember all of the essential workers, healthcare workers that are on the front lines. And when we see the surge, you know, they're at risk. And so um, I think we really have to all pull together um, and really aim to defeat COVID-19. Thank you, Risha. Thank you. Dr. Allwater, Dr. Irvin, thank you so much for your time. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.